Hey, welcome to Rebel Business. This is episode two. My name is Mayhul Patel. I'm one of your co-hosts here in lovely New York, uh, where we talk about what's not being talked about in business. I got my co-host, Paul Samuel, out in sunny LA. How's it going, everyone? Yeah, I, I actually have some sun here, too, so I can compete a little <laughs> bit with uh, LA weather today, which is great. Um, as we've done uh, on our first episode, um, our show is actually co-produced by an invisible uh, co-producer that's AI. And what we've done with that AI is fed it the theme of the show in hopes to uh, give us some great topics to to discuss. And uh, actually, we got a really good one. Um, I, I I think this AI is pretty freaking incredible uh, at its accuracy. Um, and this particular case study, uh, that they gave us is is pretty amazing. Uh, Sarah Blakely, who's the founder of uh, Spanx uh, Women's Apparel, her journey um, really is pretty unbelievable. Uh, she started her company with a $5,000 prototype and Basically, uh, no manufacturers wanted to mass produce this thing. So she goes ahead, goes and pitches a bunch of department stores. And eventually she lands a massive order at a very large department store. But she sort of was screwed because she had no money to actually produce this stuff and pay a manufacturer. Um, so she went around and eventually found a male investor who knew nothing about women's apparel and admittedly said he thought the idea was quote unquote, a bit crazy, still gave her a million bucks. And her company is now a multi-billion dollar company, you know, 20 plus years later, which I think it's a, it's an amazing story. And I think the AI did a great job identifying um, uh, a theme in business that we've been trying to target, but I, I don't know what were your thoughts on her journey, Paul? Yeah, this is a remarkable story in a couple of different respects. Number mm -hmm. one, you know, this is a category that is just littered with businesses that have failed, right? Think of all the, uh, clothing manufacturers or clothing brands or hosiery brands that are out there. Uh, it is a tough business to succeed in. And then the other part of this that, you know, we, we don't really talk about a lot is her as a female entrepreneur 20 years ago, yeah. Yeah. trying to raise money from venture capitalists, very, very tough slog. And, you know, she didn't have the pedigree. She didn't have this illustrious uh, work career that she could point to, uh, to, to give her credibility. So she really, through pure grit and determination, uh, made the magic happen. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. No, it, it uh, is and, impressive. It really is impressive. And I think two things, well, one, you already, you, you underscored it, you know, back in the nineties, being a woman and trying to go to VCs or whatever you want to call it, angel investors, high net worth individuals, your friend's dad who's wealthy. I don't know. Whatever it is, it wasn't going to be easy. I mean, it's not easy now, but back then there was no sort of empowerment movement. There were no hashtags. There's nothing. Uh, so she probably was running up against all types of, you know, issues and almost probably being dismissed before she could even finish her investment pitch. 
um, is my guess. But the other part that you touched on that I think is still very, very relevant today is she didn't have quite the pedigree, right? And right or wrong, uh, the U.S. economy, capitalism, all of it, it does care about pedigree. You know, she went to a big state school. She went to Florida State. And, you know, that unfortunately rules out certain opportunities for you almost immediately, right? I mean, uh, yeah. myself, I went to a big state school. I went to Maryland. You went to a, a state school in New York. Yeah. And, you know, Paul and I both eventually ended up at, you know, a, a big banking institution. But I really backdoored my, my way <laughs> into finance. I mean, I was told coming out of Maryland, like, yeah, we don't recruit there. Yeah. Um, same, and these are the things me. you're going to have to do. Right. And did you run into that as well? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, at Binghamton in upstate New York at the time, they were only recruiting for back office, you know. Office yeah, they were basically, they, yeah. look, you want to call it what you want. People can say it's this, it's that. It's a freaking professional caste system. That's what it is. That's <laughs> what I think it is. Um, I think it's bullshit because, you know, uh, a smart kid's a smart kid. Um, you know, there's a lot of factors that uh, go into where you go to school. Um, and it's not necessarily, you know, where your ceiling is, you know, you can have a very high ceiling and still not have gone to, you know, one of the quote unquote top, you know, 25 schools. So um, that's a real thing. You know, I think that's yeah. a real thing. But I think it's more of a barrier in corporate settings um than it is in being an entrepreneur i don't know if you agree with that paul but i i found that you know that chip on my shoulder was from my early years uh trying to you know move up the corporate ladder and even at more that initial sort of trying to get a job and look full disclosure i ended up going to columbia for for a graduate degree but i i still walked up into that campus with a major chip on my shoulder that i went to a state school that i'm a middle class kid and i'm walking out of here first and foremost with a pile of debt and so i don't know if you think that it's a little bit different as an entrepreneur or in corporate america yeah i think entrepreneurship is really uh a level playing field as it relates to pedigree and uh, education. Frankly, if you've spent any amount of time in a services business, uh, you know, leading a uh, HVAC business, things like things of that nature, and you try to parlay that into something different, it translates well, right? I mean, it's, it's just a matter of yeah. operations and people management, right? Those are skills mm -hmm. that you don't really learn in college. And frankly, you can argue that you learn it in business school, but truth of the matter is you get those skills by doing. And so I would say in the entrepreneurship realm, you're really going to get uh, a fair shake in that respect. And, and it is, you know, uh, nice to, to think that uh, you're not disadvantaged. But all of that said, if you're talking to venture capitalists, um, they like to see a track record you know, a lot of businesses that get funded. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm not saying that it just right. automatically sort of uh, gets rid of that, you know, stigma that's associated. Sure. But I can tell you that was, 
you know, I always did want to work for myself, but part of the attraction was to basically tell people, Hey, fuck you. I can do this too. I don't really care what you, you know, think about my pedigree. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I probably still carry that chip on my shoulder. Um, I would think so. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, will, I will get fired up about it, but, um, her journey, I thought, was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, um, what I what I thought was also interesting is just some of the things that she sort of kind of leans on, right? She, she said that part of her success was um, her past experiences, right? Similar to what you were saying about if you're in the HVAC business, right? She was saying, you know, cold calling, trying to sell freaking fax machines, over the phone and and being told no over and over and over again it really built her endurance and stamina when she had to go and pitch for her own investment and i thought that was um i thought that was interesting because i think sometimes it's it's not always a solid line from an experience to how you can leverage it right it sometimes is indirect in a dotted line that you know you might not at the time think you're gaining a skill, but you are. I mean, it's, you know, it's Mr. Miyagi telling you to wax on, wax off, right? You don't think that that's actually giving you a skill, but it's similar in business. Sometimes you're doing something that feels like crap and you're just like, I hate this, but the process of going through it might build another business muscle. Right. I mean, you're... You're, you're touching on the trust the process a mantra, which I think is true, you know, to a great extent. So, you know, you probably experienced it more than I have in your career, you know, knocking on a lot of doors and getting no's. I'm kind of curious, you know, what, what has helped you? I know that, uh, you know, just doing a little bit of research on Sarah, I saw that she was a stand-up comedian. Yeah. Uh, has that helped you? in your fundraising and, and business, uh, relationships? Yeah. De- I mean, definitely. There's no question. It's helped me. Um, you know, obviously I think humor creates levity, right. And so in the sense that, Hey, you know, if you can get a little bit of laughter in a meeting, um, that always helps people remember that it loosens everybody up. Everybody gets their guard down a, a bit. They, they kind of know that they can speak a little bit more freely with you. Um, but also for me, it's a gauge. I mean, if the person's stiff as hell and I use my best material, it's kind of like, you know, like, do is this somebody that even if they write the check, like this is somebody that you're married to now, when you have an investor, it is a bit of a marriage and you, you, it's a, it's a bit of a feeling out of both people. I mean, when you're desperate for it, particularly on your first deal, like she was and how I was. You, you really, you know, I mean, it's more of a, an arranged marriage type situation. You, you're just going to take it. Um, but I think as you further go on, I, I, I always enjoy having investors that are, are, you know, funny themselves or have a sense of humor. But beyond that, I mean, I started doing stand up at kind of the beginning of my journey as an entrepreneur, maybe a few years in. And similar to her um, experience of hearing no all the time, selling fax machines, uh, going up on stage and, you know, having a premise that doesn't quite work 
but you know it's there's something in there is kind of going back to the workshop and tinkering with it. I think that helped me um, with pitching and and whatnot. But I would say the biggest help was um, no matter how shitty a day I had as an entrepreneur, and I had countless, I mean, countless, countless, sometimes there's a nice streak of 200 crappy days, um, you know, to have learned the skill to divorce yourself from that and go up on stage. Um, that helped me learn to compartmentalize, you know, stress, anxiety, because you can't bring that up on stage. If, if you bring that stress and tightness, up there the audience knows it doesn't matter i don't care if you got dave Chappelle and chris rock writing your jokes you're gonna deliver crap you're gonna deliver a cold pizza man that's what you're gonna deliver um there's gonna be no heat on it and so i think more than anything else it helped me sort of help my own psychology of okay man you can you can have stress in one part of your life but you can still be performing well in other parts of your life. So I think for that, for that, I mean, it's been invaluable for me. Um, it's, it's helped me with, even in the workplace, it's just helped me learn how to deal with stress and compartmentalize. For yeah. Sure. I think it's, it's interesting. You know, she talks a lot about um, what her greatest, greatest assets were. And I think that one of them was trust your gut follow your heart, right? Know yeah. that you're you're probably leaning in the right direction. Maybe that needs some refinement. Um, and then the other thing that you know she highlights is uh, know what you don't know and fill those gaps with people that do things better than you, right? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I mean, I agree with that uh, wholeheartedly. I mean, particularly with your instincts. I mean, um, you're always going to have some self-doubt. Uh, and I, I think that's sort of unavoidable um, because, you know, there's no precedent for you to follow, uh, particularly, again, when you're not this pedigreed person. You know, you don't have an entrepreneur in the family. You're, you're, you have student debt you're worried about. You're worried about rent. All of those things are real uh, so those can cause doubt. Um, and so all you have to lean on are, are your instincts. Um, but, you know, you got to be careful about somebody who has no self-doubt at all. I mean, I find that to be sort of a, a reckless person um, because I think a lot of times what happens is they're, they're not evaluating things carefully enough. They're not applying enough cynicism and it's just sort of like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm in love. This is great. Perfect. Yeah. She shoots up a little bit here and there. No big deal. No big deal. I'm just going to ignore those track marks. And I think her, you know, dad's in the cartel. It's okay. You know, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't, you have to have some healthy bit of cynicism, I think yeah. is important. Um, but I, I'm curious, you know, she, she's similar to myself was sort of a one person, entrepreneur for a while just going out there and pitching and pitching and pitching and you know you have been on you've worn a lot of hats right you're, you're a tech advisor now but you've been right. a tech banker you've been on the side that writes checks you've seen a lot like how do you evaluate somebody who's walking in solo 
versus somebody who's walking in with, you know, three, four people, a couple partners or a, a senior advisor, whatever the team might be. How do you sort of value that investment pitch? Yeah, it's it's a lot tougher when it's just one individual, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, putting it in the context of, of her, she doesn't have this track record of work or pedigree that you can point to. And so you really have to sit across the, the table from this person and number one, believe what they're telling you, right, is true. Uh, yep. And so credibility, authenticity is probably the word that I would use uh, to, to describe it. If you don't believe that this person is authentically behind their product and that this is just sort of a pie in the sky idea that um, they haven't fully thought through, you're never going to fund them, right? So, yeah. so there's a certain trust element. Uh, and then there's a, you know, uh, a belief that this person understands what it takes to take the business to the next level and can step outside of themselves, right? And know Got it. that they can't wear all hats, be the one woman band, right? And so I think that was her big selling point. One of the stories that I had heard was she pitched Neiman Marcus and in the middle of her meeting with the buyer, she left the conference room, went into the bathroom, changed into uh, a pair of Spanx. Oh, and wow. Came okay. back to show yeah, the <laughs> before and after, which, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm capable of doing something as dramatic as that, but, you know, really sort of proved, uh, yeah, how bought in she was. Well, well, well let me ask you if, if some dude did that, <laughs> what would your reaction be? Yeah, not, uh, doesn't have the same effect, right? I mean, would you, if you were, I don't think I would do idea. it. I, honestly, I don't think I would do it. I give her a lot of credit for doing that. I mean, she rolled the dice and it worked, yeah. right? She's like, well, here's the product. I believe in it. And this is, you know, visually what it does. Right. Um, you know, it, it, I, I don't know. I guess I'd have to be there. I, let's put it this way. If that was my friend and we were getting drinks and she's like, hey, Matt, like I have a huge meeting with Nemus Marcus tomorrow and I'm going to do this. I don't think I would, I would say you can't, you shouldn't. It's, it's her, it's, it's, it's that person's, you know, so quote unquote destiny, it's their choice. But I probably would be like, well, you know, just keep in mind that X, Y, and Z could, could also happen. Uh, yeah. I would never discourage anybody from, you know, following their instincts, but I, I certainly would at least, you know, uh, say, well, it, it could go this way, at least be prepared if the reaction um, isn't exactly what you think it's going to be. Right. Uh, but I, I, I give her a lot of credit for doing that, um, you know, for sure. And, but she believed in her product. I mean, she, yeah. she believes in the company. I know uh, I saw one of the headlines uh, when Blackstone, I guess, bought into the company for a billion plus uh she gave every employee 10 grand and a first class ticket to wherever they wanted to go and again i think that speaks to her roots of where she came from and kind of the grit and determination and i think that's great that she's you know also from all accounts uh a pretty you know empathetic and grateful ceo uh, and i think right. that comes from that from that journey 
Um, but what else, you know, obviously she's, she was a one person um, entrepreneur, passionate, really believing in the product, but is there anything else that you look for in particular um, when somebody's pitching you? Yeah, look, strength of the team, obviously very important. Um, you know, what's the pain point? Uh, in, in a lot of cases, when you pitch investors, they want to understand the total addressable market. They want to know how big of a customer pain point this is. And so if you can yeah. convince them that this is something uh, so painful, so time-consuming, resource-intensive, that it's worth investing in a tool or uh, a, uh, in this case, a a contraption or a device, right? Yeah. Uh, that's going to change hearts and minds. Then, uh, yeah, then obviously that uh, it's a compelling investment thesis. If not, right, it, it, I'm thinking of just from a technology standpoint, if you pitch somebody on how to do Gantt charts better, but the de facto standard is Excel based uh, mm -hmm. charting most people aren't going to buy it, right? You have to build a, a whole yeah. bunch of other capabilities around it that's going to make it substantially better than what the status quo is. And I think a lot of pitches fall flat right there, right at the beginning. So basically the what you're point? saying is the problem needs to be big enough that it's worthy of solving. Right, and and worthy of solving and somebody's willing to pay you- Pay a premium for it. it. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I guess if you know, you're solving a problem that- no one's really going to pay up for, you know, let's like, yeah, we have this uh, automatic movie ticket cutter for you. Like that's not a right. real problem for the movie theaters, right? Like the problem is nobody is going to the theater anymore. You know, automating the person who rips the tickets isn't probably, it's just not going to, they're not going to pay much for that, um, no. that solution. But that's interesting. I, I think that I, uh, from the pitches that I see, sometimes that is lacking as well. Um, you know, for me, I, I would say, you know, one of the things that I always try to stress in pitches, whether, um, you know, sometimes now I'm on the other side where people are pitching me, but if it's me in front of investors, man, I'm always trying to pitch, you know, what makes it different? You know, what's the value proposition? What exactly, um, makes this uh different than you know what's down the street you know like yeah. for example like if you're opening up a restaurant and someone just says well yeah like our food just tastes better um it's just going to taste better that doesn't you know that doesn't that's not much of a value proposition if yeah. you can get the ingredients for less or you can get rent that's less than your competitors that are only two blocks away from you um, then that's a real value proposition. And I think a lot of times that is missing, but that's what I will always lead with is, hey, look, we have this built-in advantage. This is what this built-in advantage is. And it's it's going to give us a little bit more cushion and runway than, you know, our competitors or whatever else you're looking at, you know, right. certainly. Um, I think that's, that's important for sure. Uh, so, and also- what was that? So, I was just going to say, so so tell me like a, an asset like self-storage. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes to you pitching a self-storage idea. How how do they figure out differentiation or, or how do they convince you 
to invest in their business, right? Because that is a very commoditized oh, service, right? Definition yeah. of commodity, man. I mean, self-storage is self-storage, right? A five by 10 unit in New York City is exactly the same as a five That's by right. 10 in Omaha, Nebraska. There's no difference. Um, I, again, it, it's something that isn't in a lot of pitch decks is the math. Like where the hell is the math? Where is that? Like when somebody sends me a PowerPoint deck, I just keep scrolling down until I get to the numbers. And if the numbers are just not there, really, it goes into, I mean, it gets deleted immediately. And I will lie to them and be like, yeah, I'm going to read your stupid business plan. You know, because to me, it's like, did you, do you ever even heard of Google? Like, have you ever done any research on this? Like, so for self-storage, it's so commodity-based. It's so hard to differentiate yourself from your neighbor. There's there's really only a limited amount of things. How much does this thing cost to build? Are you building it for less than the competitors? And what's the supply and demand of this trade area? Is this undersupplied? If this trade area is not undersupplied, this thing isn't going to lease very well. Uh, and those are the two biggest parts of self-storage. Yeah, some visibility would be good um, for sure. Maybe a, uh, you know, you obviously want a lot of apartments and smaller residences around. Sure, that's helpful. But ultimately, what's your cost basis? And is this undersupplied? And, it, and what factor, by what factor is this undersupplied? And then I would want a little bit deeper than that, right? I would say, okay, you've done that. Now tell me about how many other sites nearby or empty buildings could be either turned into self-storage or could eventually be built to self-storage. So basically the shadow inventory that doesn't even exist. How much, right. uh, like how much of a chance is there of a competitor coming in and saturating the market? And that's sort of the next level of the taking the data and going a little bit deeper. And most people don't do that. And they'll say, you know, I see a lot of pitches that might be like, oh yeah, well, we have uh, uh, one of the local athletes is going to be there at the opening or, you know, this, that, they're going to try to brand it as whatever. And, you know, to me, I don't know, I think branding is mostly bullshit. Um, and that's probably going to think it depends. <laughs> I, I think a lot but... of it is bullshit. Yeah. And entertainment, it's not. But like, you know, and a lot of things it is. I mean, look at crypto, you know, I mean, they stuck Matt Damon up there and what to try to validate it. Like, oh, we're going to put Matt Damon up there and people are going to run. It doesn't make it a better investment. It doesn't, but it but it's sold. You know, I mean, I guess so. I mean, I guess it's sold. I guess, yeah, I don't know. If I'm sitting in that meeting, I'm throwing something at that person. <laughs> I, I'd be like, you're an idiot. Uh, this is, uh, I guess I would just, it's just so hard for me. I have such a visceral reaction to things that are promoted by a celebrity um, yeah. because I don't necessarily think that the business plan is well vetted. Now, look, I mean, George Clooney obviously made a fortune with tequila, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not always wrong, but my I'm pretty I'm pretty cynical with it. There's no question about it. I, I pretty much look at the branding piece and I'm like, it's good to have and it's it's useful in some cases, but in a lot of instances, it 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 is meaningless. I mean, in self-storage, it is meaningless. And I give you a list of other things where it's meaningless. Advertising is not. 
Branding and advertising, I think, are two very different things that get translated. Advertising and self-storage is critical. Your online presence is critical. Without it, you will not lease units. So I'm not conflating advertising and marketing with branding. I think those are very different lanes. uh, And I just sometimes think those get mixed up and they shouldn't. But the math, ultimately, to answer that question, it's it's coming down to the math. Yeah, no, um, I'm with you on that. So just to shift gears a little bit, you know, as we talk about pitching and convincing somebody to buy your idea, to invest, um, I'm kind of curious, do you have any war stories about a situation where you had you know somebody on the line and everything you heard was no 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 and you were somehow able to convince them to invest or take uh, some yeah yeah i mean a lot of it initially was just no 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 and then uh, <laughs> no you're getting annoying stop calling us uh that that was definitely a lot of the early days um you know you just yeah, I was just a Jehovah Witness for uh, real estate, just <laughs> knocking on doors, like, will you give me some money? Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I had an interesting one. I had, um, I was finally making some progress. One of my investors verbally committed, who I still know to this day, and he said, hey, I have a friend who um, I, you know, talked to about this. He's in New York. And initially I was like, oh, great. Okay. I, I mean, I still have to raise quite a bit of money. And he's like, well, he already said no, um, but uh, he wants to meet you anyway, and you should meet him. And then that was it. He's like, I got to go. And I was like, what? I mean, I don't want to meet somebody that's already said no. That's like, it's all that's like going on. Yeah, it's like going on a first date and her friends already told you, yeah, she just thinks of you as a friend. Um, (laughs) And yeah, but you should go on the first date. Uh, That's what it felt like. That's definitely what it felt like. Um, and I still remember as hot as balls that day. I was sweating. I wore a suit because uh, this was a while ago and we used to wear suits. Um, and I was pissed, dude. I was walking up there. I was like, God damn it, man. Like, I don't want to do this. Um, and, you know, I talked to him for a bit. And um, I think because he had already said no, I was that chip on my shoulder was pretty massive and I was more aggressive than usual. Um, and I just kept refuting everything he said. And I was like, no, that's actually not accurate. That's not what this deal is. And it, by the way, was a self-storage deal. And I broke it down and at the um and it was a while. He gave me a lot of time. He probably gave me, it was, I was there for at least an hour, maybe two. And um, at the end, uh, I did convince him. And he he said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And he wrote a pretty sizable check and became an investor uh, that I still call. Um, but I so was what do you able think to it was, was it, was it your, was it your passion, right? You, you said it was aggression. I'll call it passion. But w- what do you think it was? that convinced him was it the fact um, that you had answers to everything i think uh well i've asked him i've asked him that it was you know years later i was like hey you know mike why why did you you know change your mind uh keep in mind gray hair older guy 
Um, we don't have, you know, there's a massive generation gap. There's just gaps, right? So I wasn't going in there trying to find much of a common denominator. I was like, whatever. I'm just, I'm, I went in there saying, I'm going to defend my project. That's really the attitude I took. And I'm going to defend it with the numbers and I'm going to defend it with, I've done the homework. There is no one else in all five boroughs that knows as much about self-storage as me. And I'll, you know, put up a freaking Jeopardy self-storage contest. I'm going to win. All right. And I think I said something to that effect. Um, and I was able to back it up with the numbers, which I think right. was pretty important to him. Um, and there was a good plan in place for a lot of the risks. Building in New York is not, you know, the easiest thing in the world. Uh, but I, you know, what he said, ultimately, he was, he was like, look, you know, you don't want somebody weak protecting your money. And he, he, he did say, he's like, you, you came that close to being kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> a dick in the meeting. But I, I think, man, if you want respect, you first got to have self-respect. And if you don't have that, it's a wrap. You got to have a little bit of F you in you if you want somebody to bet on you. That's what it is. And if you don't have that, you know, it's over. Don't, you know, don't expect a lot of things to happen for you because they have to feel like they have a, a strong protector of the investment they're going to make, particularly when it's A, your first one, B, you have no money. He knows I'm putting in very little money in comparison to everybody else. I'm putting in like, I think I had maybe 1% of the, the money in the deal. Uh, so he's hanging his hat on, is this guy going to fight when it gets tough, when things go wrong? And I gave him that impression. Um, and maybe that's for Sarah Blakely, her going in to the bathroom, changing, coming out, and just being like, I'm proud of my product. Yeah. I'm going to use my product. I, and, and it was similar. I, I was proud of my project as if it was my kid. And so I think that ultimately swayed him, you know, commanded the numbers, all of that. I think if you don't have that as a given, I don't see much success in, in, in your endeavor. You have to have that, but you also do have to believe in, in what you're doing. And it has to be, um, you have to be able to present that. Uh, now I came close to offending him, um, but I didn't quite cross that line. Um, but I, I'll, you know, the passion, aggressiveness, whatever you want to call it. Um, you better passion, have passion, aggression. Let's call it that. We've coined yeah. a new phrase, passion, aggression. You do, <laughs> man. You got to have some dog in you, man. You do. You, you do. Uh, but like I said, he's still, he's still an investor and, um, I can always speak to him very, very candidly. And he's my senior by a lot. And so now he's somebody that I can, you know, lean on when I have questions um, that I don't have quite a full answer for. Right. Yeah. I think it's it's really important. One of the points you made was uh, sort of skin in the game, right? And if you don't have skin in the game, if you don't have uh, authenticity, it's hard to sell. It's and really people, hard to sell, yeah. man. I mean, it is really difficult. People it's one buy thing. From, yeah, the, know, people buy from people that they trust and like, yeah, right? It's, so. it's, it really is. I mean, people, 
Well, the one thing is when somebody thinks you're bullshitting them, they rarely just say it to you, right? right. It's it's not something that is communicated to you. It, it's communicated to you in a lost opportunity is how it's communicated to you. And so, you know, in this instance, it was a, I was able to turn a no into a yes. And I think it was, some of it was predicated on that. So you've had, you know, you, you've been on the other side of the table and in a lot of instances, um, you know, I'm sure in banking, right. You know, you have to constantly have to, you know, cultivate clients and convince them of, fee structures and whatever product your your banking group is offering or services uh have you ever gotten you know similar circumstance where you know they were like now nah, we don't want to um engage your firm and yeah. you're able to convince them otherwise oh absolutely especially when you're talking about lower middle market middle market businesses you know they they don't have the big wallet to to drop a couple hundred thousand dollars on a retainer yeah they don't right so so you have to go in and prove number one you've got the experience uh number two that you're worth the investment uh and mm -hmm. so you talk talk about fees that's probably the biggest gating issue in every conversation i don't like paying fees i don't like paying anything up front i'll pay if you succeed and unfortunately you know the world doesn't work that way. Uh, but when you break that part of the conversation down, what you're really trying to do from a sales perspective is, is prove your value, right? So yes, we have a retainer. Yes, you know, you don't get a refund on this if we're not successful, but here's what you get for it. You get my time for X number of hours a week. You have the ability to call me on my cell phone over the weekend, right? You have the expertise and uh, the, the, the horsepower, frankly, of the team. And so once you start to unpack that a little bit, you know, granted, there's always going to be people that draw a line in the sand and say they're never going to pay for it. But most people see the value and can at least start to move towards the middle, right? And that's that's mm -hmm. essentially what you're hoping for. Find some middle ground, see if there's uh, a zone of potential agreement. So, uh, so one thing I'm curious about, you know, you, you've had a much longer corporate career than I have, right? Um, you know, how much sort of... Uh, how much latitude do you have, you know, in that situation to try to go back and change terms and, and whatnot? How many levers do you have to pull? Because, you know, we, you know, both have plenty of friends in, in, in the corporate space. And I always hear sometimes that that's a frustration is that, you know, yeah. you get bogged down in a lot of the corporate guidelines and there's not enough ability to kind of maneuver and and when that happens, are you kind of leaning more on your, you know, how, how do you navigate that? Is that like a, a personality thing? Or are you trying to go and try to see if you can give a tailored solution here? Yeah. So, so my instinct is probably really similar to yours, which is I want to transact. I want to do business. How can I make that happen? And I try to pull every lever I can, but to your point, 
when you're working for a corporation, right, there's certain levels of business and certain uh, concessions that they're, they're just not willing to make, right? Mm-hmm. And some of it's risk-based, some of it's opportunity cost uh, of taking on an engagement that's a little more, you know, back-end oriented. Um, and so, you know, the, uh, it's it's a pretty simple formula. The larger the company, typically, uh, the fewer concessions you're willing to make. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it's partly dependent on the people that are involved, but mostly a function of, you know, how large and bureaucratic is the organization that you're working with. Have, I'll be, I'm, I'm curious, you know, has there ever been sort of a moment because of that? You're like, I should go work for myself. Yes. Yeah. So definitely have encountered that in, in a previous life. Part of the reason that I left uh, to do my own independent consulting, wanted to be my own boss, wanted to be able to call my own shots and essentially, you know, figure out what my time was worth, uh, yeah. which is the, the best data point that you can get out of it. Um, and frankly, you know, from a business development and sales skill development standpoint, there's nothing better you can do than go out and uh, and slog, trying to bring, bring in some business. You obviously have lived this for a number of years. My independent consulting was only for a few, but yeah, there's no no question, right? At some point, everybody kind of gets it in their mind that maybe they can just go off and do it on their own. Yeah. But you have I, to have I, the stomach for it, right? I think so, yeah. I, I mean, it's not the easiest thing to to do. I mean, because you yeah. start at, at zero, um, you know, essentially, and you, you do have that kind of feeling of desperation, but you also feel bit liberated. I mean, you can't get to less than zero uh, is kind of how I felt <laughs> all the time. I was like, well, it can't get worse than this. Uh, this right. is brutal. I have was unable to raise any money today and all my jokes bombed. Um, <laughs> and this girl's friend just told me she just wants to be my friend. <laughs> so it doesn't, you know, I've had, I've had those days where it was rough. And I think that's probably some of the reasons why people might avoid it, but I could understand being in that corporate space um, and not having enough levers to pull uh, yeah. that that can get frustrating. Yeah. Sure. But, you know, uh, I, I think every company is a little bit different, but uh, yeah, it, if you're on your own, you get the latitude, but frankly, you know, the, the other edge of that sword is uh, you may sign yourself up to do a project mm-hmm. where you didn't see it coming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the part that doesn't get talked about. Right. Right. Is, Oh, the sexiness of being an entrepreneur and this, that, and whatever. But when, when shit hits the fan, that's it. You're cleaning the fan. Uh, you're get you're you're going in there taking a little shit out of there, and it sucks. And sometimes it it really isn't your fault. Uh, sometimes things just happen, like a pandemic just happens. And you know, somebody who owns an office building right now, all these office buildings behind me were sound investments in you know 2019. They were. And a lot of those are entrepreneurs. Some of those are owned by institutions, but some of those are owned by individuals. And, you know, that's the part that sometimes doesn't get spoken about 
is when it goes wrong, it's, it's really tough. And, you know, when you can't raise money, it's really tough. You don't know when, you know, income is coming in again, it, it can weigh on you. And, you know, what I always tell people, if you want to do this, um, understand what it is and its totality. Uh, there's a part of it that is very attractive. Um, Sarah Blakely's story is very attractive, uh, but I'm sure along the way, there were a lot of episodes that were very challenging that all, you're, you're starting to think maybe I should go back and get a job, a, a conventional path and, and go back into that space. It's hard. And one only bit of advice I can give is you better have some good friends, man. <laughs> you really better have. If you if you don't, don't do this. Because one of the toughest things to see is you will watch your peers succeed and right. continue to succeed as you make no progress. And that's tough. That's tough. And you need the encouragement. You need friends to tell you to keep doing this keep going forward and i think that speaks to her i don't know her i've never met sarah blakely but i would guess that she has some pretty solid friends and the whole gesture of giving ten thousand dollars to every employee in a first class ticket is part of that because you know when you are doing this you 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 have maybe you don't have investment capital from your friends but you have their emotional capital they're right. betting on you. They want to see you succeed. And so I, you know, I think that's vitally important if if you're going to take this path. Yeah, sure. Well said. So just uh just wrapping up here, I think uh we can we can close with some fun banter here on uh some current events. I'm kind of curious. Uh let's let's do this. Let's bet. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. We'll talk about, uh, yeah, you you pick the topic that you want. I'll pick one that I want. It doesn't have to be the most eye-opening prediction, but all right. Take a um, take a little chance. Don't, don't, don't go with the favorite here. All right. You know, I'll, I'll stick with a with a business trend here. I, you know, three, four weeks ago we had those regional banks wobble. Um, I think before. Labor Day, we're going to have another okay. wobble with the regional banks. Um, okay. I wobble hope I'm or wrong. failure? I wouldn't say a bank failure or a okay. bank run, but a wobble where, you know, it's we're gonna, breaking news type stuff. And right. we'll talk about it for three, four straight days again, and we'll see values drop. I want to be wrong on this, yeah. but I don't think I'm going to be. I, you know, we talked about it in the first episode this work from home, the office, all of it. There's a lot of pressure there. So I don't know, hang on to your hats. Uh, I think, I, I think we're going to see another wobble. What about, what about you? Interesting. So that's 20 I bucks will, though, man. So it is 20. All right. That's 20, 20 bucks. bucks there. So another 20 on first round NBA playoff matchup, Warriors, Kings, Kings haven't been in the playoffs for 17 years warriors coming off a championship season but they are the quote-unquote underdog they are uh starting on the road and 
frankly, pretty, pretty bad team up until this point in the season. Yeah. Awful on the road. I'm taking Terrible the dubs. The yeah. I'm taking the dubs, which probably means they have to win twice in Sacto. Not the easiest. Place I don't I mean, I don't win. think it's going to happen. I'm a, I'm a Steph Curry fan. I, yeah. I, they have the worst road record of any defending NBA champion ever. And shot. it's by a lot. It's yeah. not by a little bit. It's by a lot. I mean, they're getting healthy at the right point, but um, I'm I'm going with the youth movement. I love watching the Kings play. I'll bet you they're 20. They're fun. Okay. I'll bet you 20. Um, Sounds good. All right. Well, that's our episode for this week. We hope you enjoy it. Uh, you can find this posted on Spotify. We have the video up on YouTube. Uh, we hope you join us next week. If you're in New York, come by Stone Street Comedy. I will be slinging some jokes. Um, until then, uh, have a great week. See y'all. <laughs>